The Investment Podcast, brought to you by M&G. This podcast is for investment professionals only. Welcome to the latest Fixed Income Podcast. My name is David Parsons, and I'm joined once again by one of my colleagues. In this case, it is David Fancourt, Senior Portfolio Manager with responsibility for European High Yield at M&G. Good afternoon and welcome, David. Hi, David. Good to be here. So jumping right in, David, looking at European high yield markets, do you think they represent good value at the moment? Is this an interesting and potentially attractive entry point? Yes, David, thanks. I think that there's three different measures you can look at the valuation. Firstly, yields. Yields are over 7% at the moment, which is sort of almost decade highs for the asset class. 7% compares pretty well with European equities, sort of similar earnings yield to the stocks, and versus investment grade that are yielding about 4% at the moment. Also, 7% gives you a reasonable amount of protection against sort of adverse movements that could hurt your total returns. Secondly, spreads. Spreads are above average at the moment. Spreads are the compensation you get for taking the extra credit risk in high yield. If they're above average, then um, tends to lead to better returns in the long run. And finally, prices are low. Prices have fallen around 15 points from the beginning of last year, and they're at similar levels to where we were in the, the depths of the pandemic. This is important because it gives you more symmetry in returns. You know, if an issuer has a hard time, there's less far to fall. But if there's some good news or the bonds get taken out, then the bonds have um, further to rise. So there's more symmetry return. So overall, I think it's a good package at the moment. Okay. So I think what you're saying then is we have an asset class that certainly on a standalone basis looks attractive with good yields, low prices of entry, and certainly the uh, the carry giving you a, a good deal of protection against any further spread widening that might occur. But obviously, the US market is perhaps for many investors, the market of choice when it comes to thinking about high yield. How does the European high yield market compared to the US market today? And what are the different characteristics? And perhaps does Europe bring something additional that we don't get from the US market? Yeah, the European market has always been on the coattails of the US market, but has grown significantly over the last few years. I think there are differences, firstly, in quality. The European market is a higher quality market, around sort of almost two thirds are in double Bs in Europe compared to around 50% in the US. At the other end of the scale, there's far fewer triple Cs, almost sort of half the amount in Europe than there are in the US. And secondly, the sector breakdown is different. The US has more exposure to some more cyclical sectors like sort of energy and fracking that um, can be more speculative. And I think the other part on, on in terms of relative value is that at the moment you're getting a higher hedge yield in Europe than you are in um, the US. And that's despite being a, a better quality market. So what I'm hearing is then that the on a relative basis, the European market gives you better yields than the US market for actually a better quality overall in terms of the composition of the benchmark indices. But when one's looking at high yield, it always comes down to individual securities and the risk or one could say the uh, the fear of default or loss that comes through. So how should investors be thinking about default risk in particularly European high yield risk, but also in comparison to perhaps the US market as well? Well, yes, I mean, default risk is really important. You know, if you have a default, then um, you have a permanent impairment of capital. And that's why you have to take it very seriously. Research is really important when you're investing in high yield companies, understanding the risks and, and also the structure of where you stand if, if the worst happens. 
But you have to also realise that you have been paid well for taking credit risk in high yield. Over the last 20 years, the total return has compounded at 7% per annum, despite all the defaults we've seen and taking that default risk. And you want to compare versus the US market because Europe is, is a higher quality market. We've seen that default rates have been lower over the last 20 years. And in fact, Europe has has outperformed the US market over the last 5, 10 and 20 years as a result. I think that's a, a nice picture of the markets there. But perhaps one other thing we ought to be touching on is how the markets have evolved over a period of years, particularly in the area of investor protections or lack thereof. So the evolution of covenant light, for example, bonds, and also secured bonds, which make up a substantive part of the market as well. Although the characteristics, perhaps, um, we can draw out some interesting uh, aspects from the European side that are very favourable. How do things look in terms of the the risk and the perhaps potential for recovery, given the the changes in the structure of the market over time? Yeah, I think the financial markets do evolve. I think that the European market has evolved like others, and, and covenant structures will change over time. It's up to investors to be on, be on their toes for that. Some protections for investors, for instance, um, around half of European high yield is secured. But in terms of your overall level of risk, I think that that has been pretty similar over time. I think a lot of thinking about sort of covenants is is more to do with relative value between issuers. We find that recoveries tend to be more cyclical um, and they're higher in good times and and worse in bad times, rather than a feature of of the covenant protection in the bonds. So that perhaps addresses the issue of security and covenants. But when you actually have a default event, I guess there's quite significant differences between the European and US regimes for how defaults are dealt with. Yes, it's a lot simpler in the US. There's one jurisdiction and a very established Chapter 11 procedure. So companies can file on a Friday and they're open for business on a Monday. In Europe, there's a lot more jurisdictions to, to deal with. And many of them are evolving their own um, procedures at the moment. And uh, the way that creditors are treated may may be very different in one jurisdiction than another jurisdiction. The other difference is there's a bit more stigma still about defaulting in Europe compared to the US. And I think that's a reason that both of those are reasons why we see lower default rates in Europe compared to the US even if we control for the better quality of the European market compared to the US. Yeah, it does certainly come through in pricing as well. When you look at the markets, you're more than compensated really for the risk of default in European markets at the moment in terms of the the level of credit spreads that's available relative to historic levels of, of default that have been observed. I guess bringing it back to the asset class as a whole then, European high yield, is this a tactical investment asset class or perhaps is there something more long term about buying and owning the asset class that that's positive for investors certainly history has suggested that holding on to high yield has been been the right choice over the last 20 years european high yield has compounded at sort of seven percent per annum which is about sort of three percent more than investment grade and so holding on to a high compounding asset class has, has done investors well it's difficult to time the market and if you can, then the costs are quite high as well. So the, the round trip cost of getting out of high yield can be over over 1%. So I think that there's a strong case for investors to 
consider high yield as part of their portfolio as a, as a strategic component of that portfolio? I think that's an interesting perspective, actually, because for the most part, uh, investors in European high yield have always treated it as an asset class that is opportunistic. Your point about um, trying to market time is, is, is well made. I think it's always difficult and challenging to, to capture uh, a good deal of the flow of a rally from getting in at the start of a rally. There's a confirmation bias that naturally comes through that investors will wait until they can actually see that a rally is underway before they will allocate. And typically, most investors will find it difficult to time their exit from the asset class as well. Typically, you'll find that uh, the sell-off will already be underway by the time uh, most investors begin to leave European high yield. So what does that give us? Perhaps investors are maybe capturing at best 60 to 70% of a rally in terms of trying to market time and, and asset allocate, which if you can do that consistently over a very long time, will we'll typically deliver good returns. But it is challenging. And certainly there is a strong case to say that holding it as a strategic allocation through the cycle with a manager that is then seeking to add modestly to returns on the top through risking and de-risking the portfolio according to the available opportunities through the cycle, I think could be a powerful tool for investors to to keep in their armory rather than seeing it as a, a tactical tool, perhaps seeing it more as a strategic one. David, it's been very interesting chatting with you. Thank you for your thoughts on the high yield market and we'll continue to update uh, investors and colleagues as things evolve in the market over the next three to six months and perhaps revisit this in the summer. Very much appreciate your time. Thank you. Thank you. For further information, please view the notes which accompany this episode. This podcast is for investment professionals only. The value of investments will fluctuate, which will cause prices to fall as well as rise, and investors may not get back the original amount they invested. Past performance is not a guide to future performance. The information and views expressed should not be taken as a recommendation, advice, or forecast.